Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, and uh, we're working through the New Testament together, a chapter at a time. Um, we have been going for more than four years now. This is part 230. I'm not even sure. I think I've done more than that, but maybe I didn't change that part, but uh, 230 plus uh, meetings in the New Testament. We've got uh, 1 John 4 today, 1 John 5, and next week, um, and then we've got, uh, we'll move into 2 John, that's one chapter, 3 John, that's one chapter, I already did Jude, uh, who am I missing? Then it's Revelation, right? Yeah, so September, so I'm going to miss a, this, I got two, four, right around the end of August or September, we're into the book of Revelation. And then we have a run from there. And then we start the Old Testament. Very cool. And that takes 15 years. So I have my lessons planned. It's nice. Yeah, buckle up. 15-year ride after that. And then you know what we're going to do when we're done with that? We're going to start all over again. Yes. And see how far we've come. I'll look at my notes. Can you imagine? That? How cool is it? So unless Jesus comes back, you know, then things change. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't like... So I'm planning it out 15 years from now. How cool would it be, though, 15 plus years from now, we get back and start doing the New Testament all over again? I'm looking forward just to going back into my notes and seeing if I still, really? <laughs> what have I learned in 15 years? I hope it's, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm recording, so I'm on. Here we go. Uh, so we're in First John. Uh, I got lost. We're in 1 John right now. And uh, I, one of the things I've said about 1 John, and the reason that we study the Bible like this in context, uh, context is, is so important in the meaning and in the understanding of Scripture. If you take things out of context, you can make them say things that they don't say. We quickly move off into uh, heresy if we lose sight of context. The New Testament and the Old, they were all written in a context. And so by studying the whole thing, it, it allows us to understand it in ways that we may not have before. And it's uh, incumbent upon us as believers to study the Bible, to understand the Bible, to spend time in the Bible. Uh, and so, you know, I appreciate your, your willingness to dig through it in this way. Um, John now is, is uh, um, much older in, in his walk. Um, with Jesus, these, uh, this letter was written sometime between 85 and 95 A.D., so, so 50 years plus from since the crucifixion. Um, he's had a long, full life. He's experienced many, many things in his walk. Um, we see that he's changed a lot over time. He's uh, much softer now. Um, we, we said, you know, when he was younger, the, he was um, very zealous in his passion. And we looked at him one time, you know, wanting to call down uh, thunder on the Samaritans, lightning on the Samaritans, because they wouldn't give them a place to say. And Jesus said, we don't do that. And how he saw someone else doing the ministry in Jesus' name. And he said, we need to shut them down. They're not one of us. And Jesus said, no, no, as long as they're doing, you know, the next right thing, leave them alone. And, uh, and then, you know, he, he was, they was always fighting about the best seats around Jesus and positions and even brought his mom in to try and help with that and Jesus said that's not what it's all about and now at the end of his life we see a, a much more compassionate uh, no less zealous I, I don't I don't think in his walk no less passionate just um, softer heart more more grace more 
more love. And he, his discussion is really about love. And, and 1 John 4, that's the major topic, is really about God's love for us and our love for him and our love for others. And really, that's the, the highlight of John chapter 4. He starts, though, the, um, the chapter by just telling people again to beware of false prophets. And so we're going we're gonna to cover those two basic ideas today, um, being aware of false prophets and false teachers and what it really means to love well once again. So let's in, uh, dig in. First John 4, uh, 21 verses. I'll begin in verse 1. I'm going to read out of the NIV. That's what your notes have. Um, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, whatever translation will be great and uh, all is well. First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and, is even, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We're from God. And whoever knows, God's listen, li, God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in, him, in, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So you can see, um, it's a lot about love. God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. On and on he goes with the whole concept. And I love what he says in verse 8, there is no fear in love. When I, whenever I read that, my, my brain sidetracks a little, just so you know how messed up things are in there. And I always think of the, this, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> you, you ever heard of that? It's a, from a movie. See, it doesn't work if you haven't seen the movie, but there's no crying in baseball. There's no fear in love. I have anyway. See, you don't even get it. No problem. 
It's not funny. It just is. <laughs> but I appreciate, you know, your willingness to do whatever you think needed to be done at that point. Thank you for your concern. <laughs> There's no fear in love. There's no crying in baseball. Same. All right, so those first six verses uh, are, are a warning again about false teachings and false prophets. Remember, the church at this point in time is really dealing God, with false prophets. It's, it's an attack. You know, it's the we enemy's plan to put people in play to twist the truth and destroy the church. It's always what he's up to is trying to crumble the church. And as strong as the church was, um, there and just spreading everywhere, and the, the the rapid growth of the early church was amazing. I mean, just in its in the way that it grew, just people were being added daily, and it was at a at a, you know, an out-the-break pace. I mean, it was exponential. Uh, it wasn't just doubling. It was it's going off the charts and spreading all over the world. And at the same time, um, it would come these false teachings and these false prophets to try and tear it all up. Um, and they had many motives, you know, some obviously um, totally driven by the enemy, others driven by their own selfish stuff. And, trying to, you know, build their own kingdoms, and, and so there was a lot of stuff going on. And all the writers of these later letters warn about this happening. We read this with Paul, we read it with Peter, we read it with Jude, and now John also makes a warning about false teachers. He calls them antichrists. He said they're already among you, and they're, they're people who don't believe in Jesus, who, who don't know who he is, and are coming into the church and, and uh, are, are bringing up weird teachings and weird doctrines and tickling, tickling people's ears and, and uh, leading them actually away from the truth. And that's something that to this day we need to be aware of. We need to be careful. So you hear me say all the time, you need to spend time in your Bibles. You need to read the Word. You need to pray. You need to check on what you're being taught. You need to run it against the Scripture. Um, uh, you know, I, I hope that you always do that. Anything that I teach, that you take it and you study it yourself against the Scripture, that, that, uh, that it would you know, always measure up against the Scripture. And, and that, that's our standard as believers. And, and that's what all, all, all the writers of the New Testament kept saying. Make sure these things weigh out against Scripture. And they, they, they gave some things to look for. And Peter told us these things um, when we studied him. You know, he said, he said in, in uh, his letter, there are things that you need to look for when you're, when you're looking at people that are teaching you. And, he, and one of them was immorality. And, and he said, is this teaching or teacher promoting uh, or participating in immoral practices? And if they are, they, it needs to be a big you know, caution. If, if, if that part of their life isn't, isn't reflecting the, the teaching of the church, there needs to be something that's checked in you that says we really got to be careful in this process. Another one is greed. Um, if, 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 if are the does it does it appear as though the, the, the teacher is um, really far more concerned about his own welfare than that of the church? That's an issue that needs to be looked at. Um, it's promoting the church is only and then you know lying um, does it line up with scripture if it doesn't line up with scripture it's a lie and and so everything needs to be checked against now you know, certainly um, we might have minor disagreements about how we understand scripture and, and uh, but they, they should do that they should be minor to the point where you know Paul always said 
Listen, if, if on, on certain points, not the main ones, but on certain points, we might have disagreements, but we should be able to allow the Spirit of God to settle those in us. But the main, absolute foundations of faith, those are, those are the ones we don't have. So, um, these are things. If, if you start to hear something that doesn't line up with those, we need to check them out. Again, the Scripture, and whoever is teaching those things needs to be willing to um, certainly... Uh, Or, or explain from the scriptures where they're coming and why. And it, and it should only be the scriptures that, that we use in that process. So these are all very important things that uh, we hang on to when we walk. Now, from 7 on, is, is all John talking really about love. That God is love, and because he loves us, we're to love others. And he repeats that, and he says it in like four or five different ways. He keeps rephrasing the same sort of thought. And I, I want to just talk about that, the amazing love of God for us. And, and holding this in context, I think, then helps us to hold the whole letter in context as we understand what it means, um, what it means when he's saying God is love, what that means in, in our lives and what that does to us. So we're, we're beloved children um, that God passionately wants to be in meaningful relationship with. You need to understand that about God is love, and, and really what that means is that he um, passionately wants to be in constant, meaningful relationship with us. He always has his eye on us, and he relentlessly pursues us. That's the heart of God for you. He always has his eye on you, and he relentlessly pursues you. Relentlessly. Some people have a picture of God that's, uh, you know, always punishing me. He's mad at me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. I messed up. I messed up. I'm getting... God has his eyes on you, and he relentlessly pursues you because he wants to be in constant, meaningful relationship with you because he loves you, and that's his heart's desire. And so uh, some ideas to sort of remember in that because that's where, you know, these false teachings would come, where the enemy would come and try and disrupt some of that. So I want you to remember these things. We are the apple of his eye. I, I like to think about that concept. We're the apple of his eye. In Psalm 17, 8, you can write down the address and look it up later. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And, and this verse actually means that he is so close to us, so attentive to us, that we're actually reflected in his eye. I like that thought. That's what it means to be the apple of his eye. We are, he is so focused on us that we're actually reflected in his eye. If someone else were looking, they could see our reflection in his eye. He's reflected that way. He delights in us. He cherishes us. He enjoys us. So, you know, if, if nothing else, write that down. I am the apple of his eye. And, and understand that's because God is love. That's part of it. We're also... Um, his, his children. We're, we're Abba's, uh, Abba's child. The, the, uh, the neat thing about that word, Romans 8, 14 through 16 introduces this word. Um, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, are the children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Um, we are the children of God. In Christ, when we, when we come to Christ and we're, 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 uh, we're saved, we're born again, um, we become the children of God. And it allows us an intimate access to him. And the idea of Abba is, is a very intimate one. It's, it's, um, it, it, 
remember the religious viewpoint at the time was they wouldn't even say God's name because uh, they revered it, but, but they had lost the context in their reverence of a God that loved them. And so they, they wouldn't say his name any longer, um, and they, they, it was supposed to be out of respect, but they had fallen into this work-oriented, rule-following relationship where they didn't understand the ideas of grace and mercy, and particularly didn't understand the love of God. And so when Jesus begins to talk about Abba Father, and when Paul picks up the idea, this is con- totally um, unheard of in, in, uh, in the way that they related to God. They didn't know him this way, but you need to know him this way. Here's a child, and there's something very um, precious about that, special about that. It's an intimate understanding. Um, it, it conveys the image of a, a, or an idea of a, a child crawling up in the lap of a loving parent, of a loving father, of, uh, of that whole picture. When I, I love watching the little ones when they're, when they're uh, you know, just being loved by their parent. It's that picture of that whole process. This is the understanding we need to have of the love of God for us. And, and we're invited to crawl up in his lap and to be wrapped in the arms of love. And so you, you need to know that. You're the apple of his eye and you're his child. He loves you this, with this amazing um, uh, it's, it's just it's almost hard to describe that, that, that love um, it's, and you, you see it we always love our kids but when they're really little like that and you, you have a sense of um, wanting to just protect them from everything and you, you, you begin to uh, you know you, you, you don't want them to experience hard things and you, you don't like it when they're, when they're, when they're sad and you don't like you, you don't care for those things um, uh, I always think about Douglas. My, they took my grandson to get shots today, and he cried. And, uh, you know, I hate... And I, when my son was very little, he had croup, and, um, it, which isn't good. It would re- restrict his airways, and he'd have trouble getting breath. And uh, I, remember, I remember we rushed him to... Had two bad experiences with it, where we had to go uh, to the hospital. And on, on the second one, he was a little older, um, because he could talk a little. Um, and they were, they were trying to get an IV in him, and he, he must have been three, and he looked at me and said, it really hurts. And I wanted to die. I mean, that's almost that feeling. You would have, I would have done anything to take that for him. You know, that any, anything, don't, oh. And I'm trying to tell him you're going to get, he's going to make you better, but anything. Um, I, I see that, you know, and that's the love of God for us. And he did what, he did it already, right? He, he did the biggest thing for us at the cross. He's made it for us that we have a, a guarantee of life. It doesn't take away all of the difficulties of this life, just like we can't for our kids. We want to, but we can't. But, but the promise is there forever. And, and so that's what it means to be his child. And, and I, I think you need to know that. Um, you're also his masterpiece. I love this idea about the love of God. Ephesians 2.10. Write that down look at it later. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good's work, uh, good, good works which God prepared in, for, uh, for in advance for us to do. And that word workmanship is just, I, you, I know you've heard me say this, but I, I'd like for you to think these things, is the word poema. It's where we get the word poem from, and it means work of art. You're God's work of art. You're his masterpiece. He created you, and you are his work of art, his masterpiece, and he is still at work in us. Uh, he's living in us. He's empowering us. He's transforming us by his spirit. And so you need to understand also that you are uh, his masterpiece, his creation, his work of art. 
and, and uh, so you're the apple of his eye and, and, and you're, you're, um, you're his child and you're his masterpiece, a, a creation that he's created. And he's also chosen you. And we just did a whole series about that. You're a chosen people. First Peter 2, 9 and 10. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're chosen by God. Chosen for relationship. And, and so the, the creator of the universe wants to hang out with us. Holy and perfect God made this relationship possible at the cross. And so his, his coming and his dying and his defeating death and his rising again are the proof of his relentless pursuit and love for us that I talked about in the beginning. It's, it's the proof. It's how he demonstrates that he is constantly after us for relationship and pursuing us. And it allows us, the cross, and what took place there, to be in the presence of a holy God, even though we have not yet achieved that. But in Christ, he sees us in Christ, and we have access now. And, and, and all those things that I just talked about are how he sees us in Christ. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. The apple of his eye. We're, we're, we're the apple of his eye. We're his child, precious child, invited into the arms of love. We're his poema. His, his word, and he's chosen us. He's chosen you to spend eternity with. I love that thought. He's chosen you. He wants to spend for eternity. Is how much time he wants to have with you. He's chosen you for that time. Second uh, Corinthians five twenty one. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so he he looks at us in Christ. He doesn't see all the mess, all the brokenness, all the all the garbage. Um, he always sees. I say that the beauty of our potential. Um, he sees us as his righteousness in Christ. He looks into our eyes. He sees his beloved child, um, that he delights in us. We are indeed the apple of his eye and his poem. That's, all of that is because God is love. And, and what that means then, because he loves us like that, what that's supposed to do and what that should do is that results in our hearts being kindled with a fire to love others. And this love for others is, is, is evident in the hearts of all those who've received this love of God. It's part of the transformation. It's part of what people recognize. It's, it's something of which um, if, it, if, if it's not present, you haven't connected yet with the love of God the way you need to. When you experience this love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the life in God, it will begin to change the way that you feel about others. It, it, it should make us less judgmental. It should make us less critical. As we become more aware of our need for grace and, and mercy. And, and that it, it's only in Christ that it's ever attained. It's never in what we do. If, if we could attain it, um, the, Paul said, if we could have at, attained righteousness in accordance with the law and in our own strength, then what Christ did was, was, was worth nothing. He didn't need to do it. And obviously he did because we couldn't get there. And as that settles in, then, then we love God all in, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you know this verse, Jesus said the most important things. Love God all in, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on those two things. And so John, at this point in, in chapter 4, is just reiterating this idea of the amazing love of God and that if we, if we love God and know his love for us, it really helps us to not get drawn into those false teachings that take us in places where we shouldn't go. So that's, uh, that's pretty much it on First uh, John chapter 4. Really all about love and, and making sure we don't get led astray by people that aren't teaching truth. Check everything against the Bible. The Word of God is our standard. And then let him love you and then love others well.
And uh, that's what he calls us to. That's it for um, that chapter. And then we'll pick it up here next week. You can shut down the video.